we have a responsibility to get the work to the streets. MDOT presents the Extra Mile Podcast. Highways, um, movement of goods, these are things that we rely on every day. Got to have the ability to get their product to market. As long as you're performing, we want to be behind you pushing. Welcome into another edition of the Extra Mile podcast presented by the Mississippi Department of Transportation. I'm MDOT Digital Media Manager Paul Catul. As always, I'm joined by my co host, Will Kraft. He handles government and constituent affairs here at MDOT. And I'm excited for a lot of stories, a lot of anecdotes today. So we've got former governor of the state of Mississippi, Haley Barber, in the house today. Thank you so much, uh, Governor Barber, for joining us. Oh, well, thank you all for having me. Thanks for what you do. Absolutely, absolutely. So just a little bit of information about you. So uh, elected in 2003 and assumed office in 2004 as governor of the state of Mississippi and served two terms. But uh, that's about all I'm going to say. Can you give me a little more information on, you know, why you uh, ran for office and kind of take us through your career a little bit? Well, I grew up in Yazoo City, and uh, my father died when I was two, and so my mother raised my two older brothers and me, and uh, my everybody in my family was a lawyer, so I assumed that I would come home to Yazoo City and practice law like my father did and like his father did. And... Uh, in 1968, I ran for president of the student body at Ole Miss, and fortunately I lost <laughs> because within a few weeks, the Nixon campaign hired me to run 30 counties in Mississippi for Nixon, which I couldn't have done if I had been president of the student sure. body. I'd had to Absolutely. be in school. So uh, very few Republicans in Mississippi in 1968. In fact, the first poll I ever saw in politics Six percent of people said they were Republicans, and we lost to George Wallace. Didn't lose to the Democrats. Lost to the Independent. But one thing led to another. I was asked to run the census in Mississippi in 1970, which I which I did. Had 2,700 employees, and I was 22 years old. Wow! So I came back for the '72 campaign, which I ran in Mississippi. Became executive director of the state party for four years. Still never had any idea I'd ever run for office. But one thing led to another. I became political director of the White House for Ronald Reagan in 1985 and 6, which I wouldn't give anything for. Then I finally went home to practice law with my family like I was supposed to. (laughs) And uh, one thing led to another. Uh, I worked in the – I worked in the – Ford, I mean, in the Bush campaign in 88, uh, got elected chairman of the Republican National Committee in 1993 and was chairman when we won back the House and Senate for the first time in 40 years in 1994. And then finally, I went back, uh, I started a lobbying firm in, in 1987 when I left the White House, went back there and uh, decided to run for governor and uh it's the only elective office I've ever held. I'm never a legislator wow. or city councilman or a mayor, uh, but it just seemed like the right time, and as it, it turned out to be. Been a, having been a lobbyist in Washington for many years and worked with Thad and Trent and uh, our delegation and George Bush, and it, it was a good time to have a lobbyist when we had Katrina. 
Ain't that the truth? Because it's so much of our recovery was dependent on the federal government, and they really, they really, really bent over backwards for us. And uh, and of course, our people were so strong and so uh, such good examples. But that's how I turned out to do this. It was all kind of an accident. That's amazing. Always interesting to see how people get where they, you know go uh, career-wise. That's for right. Sure. And you just mentioned a lot of things we're going to get into, specifically some of these relationships that, you, that you've been able to, to craft over the years uh, from po- political uh, to personal and otherwise. But uh, the last thing you just touched on is certainly we want to talk about a little Katrina. Um, and there was many memorable things I, I, I know that happened during your time as governor, but certainly not the least of which was the Katrina uh, events that took place. Uh, what are maybe some of the most memorable things that stand out from that time? Well, Will, uh, there's no question that my administration will be remembered about Katrina, the worst natural disaster in American history. You know, our state bore the brunt of the storm. I mean, what happened in Louisiana was terrible, don't get me wrong, but we, the, the storm hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and at Waveland, for instance, there was a 38-foot storm surge. That's if you can imagine a 38-foot wave, not a single structure left standing in Waveland the day that night of the storm. Uh, I remember flying over the coast on Tuesday morning. We couldn't get there on, on right. Monday. They wouldn't let us fly, as you can imagine. But at any rate, uh, I told somebody that as we flew over in a helicopter from the Mississippi River, I mean from the Pearl River, the Mississippi Louisiana line, to Mobile, it looked like the hand of God had wiped away the coast. I mean, it was utter obliteration. You cannot imagine. We had about 25,000 homes that were totally gone. Wow. Uh, I used to say we, we coined a new verb. We were slabbed, <laughs> meaning there was nothing left of my house but a slab. Yeah, yikes. And as I say, more than 25,000 of those. We had 100,000 homes that were uninhabitable after the storm. And we were, by God's grace, we only had 273, if I remember right, fatalities. In Louisiana, they had about 1,800. And with the, the, what we went through versus what they went through, uh, we were really, really, really blessed. And the, my wife used to say the most memorable thing about the storm was when it was over, people were wanting to know how they could help other people. It was uh, helping the little old lady across the street who's a shut-in or somebody's kids or, or sure. even people's even people's pets. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was really, it perverse as it may sound, it was really one of Mississippi's finest hours. Sure. Uh, I was talking to Ed Rendell. We, we, we were doing a radio show, in fact, together. And he was governor of Pennsylvania when the storm hit. And he called me the next day and said, what can I do? Democrat governor chairman of the Democratic National Committee like I'd been chairman of the Republican National Committee. And I said, look, I got 4,000 National Guard in Iraq. And we did. We had a 4,000-man unit, 3,000 of whom were from Mississippi. Oh, wow. And I said, you know, these are the people that would be trying to help us recover. 
they sent 2,500 Pennsylvania National Guard. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Who stayed for a month. I didn't know that. And, and Ed said to me a few weeks after, he said, the most unbelievable thing I could hear from my own people was, I want to go back. Oh, wow. Those people are helping, and they're so grateful that I want to go back. And we saw that from church groups, from everybody you can imagine. It was something that makes you proud of being a Mississippian. Absolutely. Well, and on that same note, um, our, our director, Brad White, who I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with, um, he, he has said it before, and, and we try to, to make this known. Oftentimes our MDOT folks uh, are not categorized in that same category as first responders, but I'm sure you could attest to seeing uh, plenty of MDOT folks and, and patrol out there clearing the highways to, to get the, uh, the highway patrol and others through there. Well, uh, the night before the storm, you know, the storm came in about daybreak on Monday morning. But the night before, Marsha and, and uh, a group of highway patrolmen, about 120 highway patrolmen, she went down with them. And she saw people, and she got her all f- stoked up. So she came back and then went down during the storm on, on, Mon- on Monday. And once they got to Hattiesburg, the, the highway department guys had, you, you got four lanes across, two, on, two northbound, right. two southbound. And they cleared with two bulldozers the southbound lane and behind which were 120 highway patrolmen, behind which were 600 National Guard that we had pre-deployed to Camp Shelby. So literally clearing the way. Literally clearing the way. And that went on over and over and over and over because the, the destruction was so hard to believe. I remember the head of the railroad that runs from New Orleans to, to Meridian. Right, yes, sir. Uh, at the time, uh, I, I used to know him, and he called me to see how they could help, blah, 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 blah. But in the conversation, he said they had down in the right-of-way for the railroad line. So here's this railroad line, a few feet across. But there's a big right-of-way, an average of 500 trees per mile. Oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't. Because those pine trees just snapped. And the, and the big hardwoods fa- fall over. One thing you learn after a few hurricanes is <laughs> that, the, that, the, that the, the big trees, the big hardwoods, they fall, roots come up, the pine trees, cut. they get cut in half. Wow. Pretty crazy. That is something. That, yeah, I bet you did see a lot of that going on. I mean, and from you know everything else that was going on down there, I know um, lots of memories. I was a I was a pretty young fella uh, at that time, but I can only imagine the impact that that has. Parks McNabb, uh, old uh, buddy, sure. buddy of sure. yours. Sure, Parks traveled with me for a long time. He works here with us now. It keeps keeps me uh, in line doing the government affairs uh, work. But he, tell him hi. He's a he's a good man. I sure will. He, he mentioned before. I guess when y'all were flying over, you see the the piles of debris. But what you didn't realize until you were on the ground is those were some thirty feet high. Some of them were. That's exactly everywhere. right. That's exactly I, right. I can't Particularly imagine. if you take where the railroad goes, just you know, north of, of the beach. Right. 
30, 40, 50 feet high there because the storm surge pushed everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything between the water and the railroad got pushed, and it hit the railroad right away, and it piled up on top of itself. You've never seen anything like no. it. And it's, it's trees, it's houses, it's cars, it's motorcycles, it's school buses. It was just unbelievable and as you mentioned miss marshall was kind of your your eyes on the ground there at times too keeping you marsha i'm very proud to say in the first 90 days after the storm she went to the coast 70 oh wow and she wow. worked with fema she worked with mema she worked with the patrol and she felt like her job was to try to help people who didn't know where to go to get help sure to show them where to go to get help and that was that was uh, uh, her biggest thing. And I have to tell you one little story that will make you understand why uh, I'm, I'm as proud of Mississippi as I am. Just above Bay St. Louis, Highway 63, I think, runs up to uh, runs up north into, into Pearl River County. And Marsha had found out that the FEMA materials, they didn't have baby stuff. Yeah. You know, didn't have diapers, didn't have baby food. So Marsha found a place where there had been a warehouse full of stuff for the state. So she would drive around with two highway patrolmen in the back of the pickup truck full of baby stuff. Oh, man. So she's going up from Bay St. Louis, and she sees, hits the jackpot. Here's a man and two little toddlers in front of a trailer that Marsha said looked like a beer can somebody had just Gosh. twisted it was just totally destroyed so they pull over and the boys the patrolmen start getting out baby stuff and after a little bit the man said oh look had no idea who they were the the man but this is plenty for us you know what this plenty and one of the patrolmen said look mister we we got plenty so don't worry we, we're not going to run out and he said well look you're not going to run out there's a little old lady across the road who's a shut-in, and I know nobody's been there to help us, but now it's about four days after the storm. And Mike Cooper, the patrolman, patted him on the back and said, Mr., we're, we're fine. He said, look, the man, if, if you really do have plenty, if you go down this road about a quarter of a mile and turn back sharp angle, there's six families that live over there and I know nobody's found them. So Marsha comes home that night and she said, I know everything's gonna be all right. I said, why? And she said, because she tells me this story. When people wanna make sure the little old lady across the road who's a shut-in gets taken care of before they do, before their children do. That's right. These are tough people. That's right. And they're the right kind of people. Turned out the man had four more children and his wife had walked to Bay St. Louis looking for food uh, to bring back Gosh. to the, quote, trailer. Yeah, what was left of it. That's right. Goodness oh, wow. gracious. I can only imagine. That happened over and over and over and over and over. I'm sure. Wow. Well, and, and celebrating the, what was it, 17 uh, years ago now, it seems seems like it was yesterday, I'm sure, and lots of minds out there. But um, we were proud to have you during that. And as you mentioned, uh, your connections with, with Senator Cochran were uh, the highest value at that time. Brad's mentioned it before that, you know, had it not been for you and Senator Cochran, the, the coast would still not be what it is today. I don't know about that, but Senator Cochran was 
chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, which in this particular instance is the most powerful position in the right. Senate. And he came down on Wednesday, the day after I'd been to the coast. He came came back that afternoon at the helicopter and, and told me he had seen for what it was, couldn't believe it. And then he told me something that he'd lived by. You tell me what you need and we'll try to get it. And over and over and over when we'd run into a barrier, Senator Cochran would get around the barrier. Uh, George Bush was also extremely bending over backwards trying sure. to help. People know, who people who are not from Mississippi, they know that this happened in Texas or if this happened in Massachusetts, I would want the Mississippi guys to help me. Sure. So I'm going to help them. Barney Frank, of all people, left, 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 left wing Democrat in the House. I saw him in the Capitol. He, he and I had been on a TV show one time, and he came over and he said, I hear you've coming to see the Speaker. And I said, yeah, I just came from seeing the President. He said, give me what you're asking for and I'll write a letter to every Democrat in the House and ask them to vote for it. I'm going to tell wow. them I'm going to vote for it, and I'm going to ask you to vote for it <coughs> because I guarantee you your constituents want you to vote for it. And he did, and we didn't lose a Democrat vote. That's awesome. That's, that's incredible, and really, honestly, those are incredible stories from Katrina. Crazy to think it's uh, been almost 20 years. Uh, pivoting just a little bit, so uh, this is a transportation podcast, MDOT podcast. Can you kind of talk about the importance of having a strong transportation infrastructure network and, and maybe the link between transportation network and economic <laughs> growth and development, uh, maybe well, working in the Toyota, Toyota plant? A lot of people yeah. think that the key in economic development is the grants that you give out. Well, that's not. The two things that matter the most – quality of the workforce. Nobody's going to come here unless they think we've either got a workforce that knows how to do what they want to do or that can be taught. The second thing is infrastructure. Toyota, they wouldn't have dreamed of coming to Mississippi if we hadn't been able to give them railroad service that tied into the Memphis, Birmingham, uh, trucking, you know, made four-lane highways, yep. turned 22 into a four-lane highway. Uh, because the stuff they make's heavy. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's got to be carried around. If you can put that on the Tennessee Tom Bibby Waterway on top of that, then you got one more huge piece of infrastructure. And uh, uh, people think, I remember Barack Obama talking about shovel-ready projects. <laughs> that's not why the economic development helps because of the jobs that last a few weeks, months, or a couple of years. What matters is the infrastructure. That's right. The, 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 you, can, you can move things that, whether it's crops or manufactured goods or raw materials, if you can't get them from where they exist to where you're going to make something out of them, then, then those people are not going to come build a plant in Mississippi. But you look at Toyota, Nissan, PACCAR, uh, GE Aviation. Uh, you Continental can, come over. Yeah, yeah, right here, right here in Jackson. 
the you know the whole coast and from oh yeah Laurel and Hattiesburg South, just a lot of that just wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the infrastructure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's interesting. You kind of wish you could snap your finger sometimes and see, you know, if X, Y, and Z hadn't happened, what it would look like to get that real appreciation for what we have now. Well, think about Eisenhower. You remember the first big national highway program was done during the Eisenhower administration in the 50s. Okay. And some of it was still being built when I was a law student in the 70s. And not just in Mississippi. It wasn't because we were slow. It just... The, the infrastructure is so big, so powerful, so important that you, if it takes 20 years, it takes 20 years. Our ports, oh, yeah. an example we don't think about enough. I remember getting Chiquita back a few years ago and the, the hugeness you know, of that, but much like what you're talking about, having that infrastructure in place, albeit that was a port. Uh, that was why they were able to come back, why we were able to get that business well, that's back. That's right. Well, port is infrastructure. That's right. That's right. So is the airport. That's right. Uh, all good Absolutely stuff. vital. But, uh, pivot on just another topic here for us. Uh, looking back on your time as governor and involved in the state here, um, any signature you know, legislation or policies, maybe reform or something, uh, that was just the most important to you? Tort reform. Tort reform. When, you, uh, when I ran for governor, I never made a speech that I didn't talk about tort reform, even if I was talking to high school kids, <laughs> because it was having such uh, lawsuit abuse, was having such a negative impact on our economy, but particularly our health care system. Oh, yeah. We had doctors leaving the state because of the cost of, of uh, medical liability insurance. And, and I'm proud to say passed tort reform in the summer of, uh, in a special session, That's right. in the summer of uh, 19, uh, 2004, <laughs> in one year, the number of lawsuits filed against medical people went down 90%. Oh, wow. wow. And in two years, the liability premiums for medical health insurance, medical liability insurance, went down almost 70%. And so, I mean, it worked, is my point. It worked. And and that made a lot of difference to a lot of Mississippi families who, uh, I can remember a a woman made a TV commercial for me about her husband had been injured in a wreck uh, somewhere up around Indianola or Greenwood. And the only doctor who did emergency neck surgery had quit. Oh, wow. They quit doing that. And they had to take him to Memphis. Uh, and he never could walk again. Oh gosh! Because of the delay. And uh, my wife is a, a nurse, so I, I know this a little bit firsthand. But basically, anywhere after college, she had some student loans. But she could have basically went anywhere in the state and got those paid for, uh, based on the the need of being it's an underserved state as far as the medical field is concerned. So I can only imagine how much worse that would be had the reform not happened in the in the early 2000s. And you, you probably were working on it in the 90s to, to, and got it through in 2004. I imagine that did take some time, but well, thank you for those efforts. Uh, absolutely, Paul. What you got, man? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, lost. let's talk about a lost art. You're talking about, you know, yeah. uh, working, you know, with Democrats during Katrina to get, you know, Mississippi what they needed. But it seems like it's really bipartisanship is a lost art. There's not a whole lot of that going on right now. Can you talk about maybe – Getting back to that, or um, Paul, you see any uh, improvements? Paul, when I was governor, 
I never in eight years, not one day, had a Democrat majority in the House. That's right. Mm -hmm. Every day was a Democrat speaker and all that. And the speaker and I, you know, we tangled sometimes over tort reform, for instance. But he came to the conclusion, he said it publicly, that when it came to economic development, he trusted me. And uh, I never had a veto overridden. Uh, it, and I only, by the way, I only had a majority in the Senate one year. Oh, wow. wow. Two, two, two senators changed parties there last year. Uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith's one of them. That's right. And uh, the, uh, the, the, look, you have to... You have to work at bipartisanship. Sure. You have to work at at being willing to compromise, and you have to know what's right to compromise on, what's not. Sure. But right now, I've never seen anything like this. And as we talked about at the beginning, I've been doing this for 54 years. You know, I, I, when I was at the White House, Ronald Reagan never had a majority in the House. Right. Mm -hmm. But he and Tip O'Neill, I used to sometimes get called on to staff meetings with Tip and the president. And uh, Chris uh, Chris Matthews, who you all see on TV, That's right, yeah. he yep. usually would staff them for, uh, for Tip. But they were two Irish guys that liked <laughs> each other, that didn't agree on much policy. But uh, the president would have a glass of wine and the speaker would have a beer and they'd talk. Well, maybe one of Reagan's biggest pieces of legislation was the 1986 tax bill. Mm. Huge change in the tax world. It, as he announced it on television, uh, as, as, the, as was the rule then, I'm sure it is now, the other side got to make a response. Mm. So who made the response for the Democrats? Danny Rostenkowski. Oh, wow. Most people wouldn't know who he is today. He was the Democrat chairman of the tax committee. Okay. of the Ways and Means Committee. And what did Chairman Rostenkowski say? We're for, tort, we're for tax reform, too. We may not agree on everything, but we're going to try to help make sure we get good tax reform for the American people. Can you imagine that today? No, No way. No I mean, way. Just <laughs> unfortunately, no. That's right. But we need more of it because uh, the, the division in the country is very, very severe. Uh, just no question about it. Oh, yeah. And, and having that ability, again, as folks you've mentioned, uh, Senator Cochran, you know, one of the, I don't think I've ever heard him say a crossword about anyone, uh, but knew how to be bipartisan and, and work for the betterment of everybody. You know, uh, the Washington Post called Senator Cochran the quiet persuader. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's the best term I think you could think of. Um, real quick, I know. Uh, Brad White's got a picture hanging up upstairs that uh, they got painted of Senator Cochran and uh, that conversation about what the pose was or however the, the painter, uh, how was he going to do it. And he decided to paint Senator Cochran leaning over it as if he was listening because that's what he was known for, being such a good listener. It was. Uh, and I can see that, you know, in his face in that image. Uh, touching back on, on some of these relationships you just mentioned, old Brad White. So uh, he was your party chairman during time as governor. Well, I was right? governor. That's and right. He was, I can remember when he was county chairman. I can remember when, look, bright, bright, when the, when the commissioners got a chance to hire him and, and did, 
very, very smart. He understands government. He understands bipartisanship. And, very much. Uh, yeah. And and he he's one of those guys who gets the toothpaste out of the tube. That's right. He's done a jam-up job for us, that is very sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, kind of wrapping to the last bit here, uh, a little bit of out-of-the-box question for you, but one we like to ask all of our viewers. I know you spend a lot of time running the roads, and, and as we, we <coughs> talked about on the way in, maybe sometimes you got to pick up a quick meal. Is there anywhere in the state that anytime you're passing through, you got a minute, man, we've got to go stop and get a bite to eat right here. Do you have a favorite? Or maybe one or one or two favorite spots. Well, Eric, look, Mississippi's got great food That's in right. a lot of different places. From Mary Mahoney's, there we go. Uh, and I, I, I still get tickled going in and listening to Bobby Mahoney's jokes, oh, which yeah. which I've heard every one of at least twenty times. Uh, also similar oh, yeah. to our director Brad. Yeah, yeah got the Weidman's and uh, oh yeah, Meridian's. Meridian's. Absolutely, wonderful, wonderful old family restaurant. Very much so. Uh, and I'll tell you a restaurant here in town that I think is mighty good is Kate's. Oh yeah, you oh know? absolutely. Yeah, uh, but uh, you 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 can go anywhere in Mississippi, and you can find a really good place to eat. Absolutely, and you right. can even get a drink here. Like every now and then. That is true. <laughs> every once in a while. Well, we'll get you out here. But one, one more thing, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned a little bit, but what are you kind of up to these days, you know, job-wise and maybe with family and everything? Well, when I left the White House, as I say, I started a lobbying firm, and I stepped down when I became party chairman. I just didn't think it was right for somebody to be wondering, was I arguing for my client or arguing for my party? <laughs> <laughs> sure, so sure. I stepped down for four years and went back. They asked me to come back. And then I got elected governor for eight years, and they asked me to come back ten years ago, right. and so I did. Uh, I, uh, I'll be seventy-five next month, and uh, retirement does not interest me. I'm one of those that thinks when you retire, you die. Yeah. And uh, so I'm still working hard and doing a lot of things for a lot of different clients, and. Uh, wouldn't give anything for it. I'm I'm wonderfully blessed. My father died when he was 36, so I understand my blessings. That's right. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Governor Barber, we appreciate your service and we appreciate you coming on. Uh, the stories, the anecdotes, certainly lived up to the hype. So we really appreciate right. it. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Absolutely. So we're going to do a little bit of self promotion before we get out of here. So just wanted to mention uh, last week uh, the Extra Mile podcast won uh, the audio production category at the ASHDO Transcom Skills Competition. So that's a professional organization where uh, that uh, all members of the, the DOT uh, communications professionals are a member of. So anyway, just wanted to kind of tease that and uh, we'll pat ourselves on the back. Let's that's right. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, Governor. So anyway, we'll uh, go ahead and wrap things up. want to thank uh, Governor Barber again and thank our listeners out there for tuning into the Extra Mile podcast. We also want to thank our producer, Katie Hornsby, our editor, Drew Hall. Uh, Remember, you can listen and watch each episode by visiting goemdot.com forward slash the extra mile. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Mississippi DOT. And as always, remember to drive smart out there on Mississippi highways.